You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dunn. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host Chad Dundas from ESPN.com and joining us as always from MMAJunkie.com and USA Today, it's Ben Folks. Ben, how you holding up? I'm okay. I, I gotta be honest with you and say I'm getting a little less sleep than uh, pre-baby, but uh, you know, I think I might survive this. Yeah, well right now, age where the baby needs to be physically plugged into your wife. Yeah. But you, as the father... Yeah, not a lot you can do, really. No, well, stand I around and change some diapers. Yeah, uh, listen to the forlorn wails of an infant. Uh, that's basically what I've been doing. But yeah, I mean, there is that. Uh, on some level, I'm relieved of the responsibility of feeding the child. On another level, the baby just looks at me, and I can see her thinking, "You're not the one with food in you, right? Go get the other one." Go get that one. She looks That's the you. one I want to deal with. She looks at you and thinks, what are you bringing to the table? Yeah. What have you done for me mm-hmm. in the last nine months? <laughs> Not a lot. Not a lot, baby. I'm sorry. As usual this week, the co-main event podcast comes to you in three rounds. In round number one this week, Jesus, you are the men. Vitor Belfort kicked Michael Bisping upside his head over the weekend in Brazil. So, you know, what now? And in round number two... Word is Demetrius Johnson and John Dodson will fight for some kind of world title this Saturday on Fox, (laughs) plus the return of Rampage Jackson, followed immediately by the exit of Rampage Jackson. And in round number three, Bellator made its long-awaited debut on Spike Television last week. Uh, They had a decent show, and they pulled a pretty good number. Pretty good little show. For the for the future of that company, we'll be doing all that. Plus, Sir Nigel Longstock is going to be in here leading us in another installment of Master Tweet Theater. We're going to do Are You Fucking Kidding Me and just saying stuff. But right now, like we always do about this time, let's kick the show off with a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail comes to us this week from John Callahan, who asks, My question to you is, are you planning or would you consider having your daughter train slash participate in one or all aspects of MMA? To me, this would be a nice and far more interesting alternative to soccer. <laughs> wow. Take that, soccer. Yeah, take that, girls' sports. Yeah, so really getting taken down a peg here. You know, on one hand, I am not under the illusion that I will be able to decide what my child is into. Uh, once she gets old enough to voice a preference for things. Uh, but as you know, as I've mentioned on the podcast, uh, I, I do a little Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Uh, and yeah, I think it would be cool if I could get my daughter at some point interested in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, get her a little I think that'd be adorable. Uh, maybe roll a mat out in the garage, and, and who knows? Maybe work on, work on some chokes, work on some clock chokes. I know, I mean... I think that would be some strangle bar, a little strangle bar. Teacher, a strangle bar. Maybe, maybe we do a strangle bar. Who knows? Uh, I think that would be awesome. But at the same time, again, who knows? Maybe I have this fear that my child would be into all the things that I would be least into. So she'll be like a cheerleader who wants to go to church or something. Yeah, my daughter is four months old. Your daughter is a week old yeah. today as we record this. So it is for me, and I assume also for you kind of difficult to imagine a scenario or a reality where they will have wants 
and <laughs> desires. You know, I mean, aside from the the most basic human needs, uh, it's 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 hard to foresee the reality where they will they will make choices and have interests, want to do stuff. I assume those days are coming. Uh, but by the time they do, robot boxing will be huge, and human yeah, boxing will yes, be dead. Absolutely. Uh, my wife and I are hoping for a for a Hesher or a Dirt. You know, <laughs> maybe she'll. So we really just want her interests to be like smoking weed and like hanging out in her room, listening to obscure metal bands. Anything but a soch is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Maybe with a poster of Josh Barnett on her door. (laughs) But no, I mean, I I don't know. I guess as a parent, you try to set yourself up for the idea that you will support your child and whatever her interests will be. But that's probably not true. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. It's I can't I wouldn't be that excited about my daughter wanting to get punched in the face for for you know profit or just sport i guess you would say but i mean i I wouldn't wouldn't forbid her from it i don't think either yeah well hey look at it this way if that was her thing uh and you had to you know spend your free time going to some kind of like full contact striking events to support your daughter might be a lot more fun than say the ballet just saying. Maybe, yeah, maybe. Well, let's hear. Let's go on to our next question. Uh, the second question this week comes from Nazir, who who writes, I just wanted to get your thoughts on this whole Team Lloyd Irvin rape scandal going on. Firstly, can you just outline what the fuck is going on? Secondly, can you provide your thoughts on how this, if at all, affects the mixed martial arts community? I know it's probably not in your own personal interests to discuss this, nor is it necessary since you guys are MMA journalists, not BJJ journalists, and the fact is it barely has to do with professional sports, but it's something I was interested in nonetheless. This is uh, something I think we've all been hearing a lot about on the old internets. Uh, It is a popular topic for discussion down at the jiu-jitsu gym where I train, where a lot more people are into like they know who Lloyd Irvin's you know, competition team is. That means a little something more down there. And it's, so it's a weird thing where, like this questioner pointed out, not really MMA news, and yet still kind of news because mm-hmm. it's, it involves Lloyd Irvin. He trains UFC fighters. You know, he, he's a known man in the MMA circles. Uh, and this thing seems to be getting ugly. Have you, have you been following this? Just a little bit, and it's the kind of thing where, you know, due to the subject matter... It's the kind of thing that that I don't want to talk about a ton until I know what the actual facts yeah. are. You know, I read a couple of internet reports, I guess you would say, and and they're always uh, they're it's always a little dodgy. I don't want to be one of these guys that like goes off half cocked and and talks a bunch about uh, a situation and then it turns out later, oh, actually. The, yeah. the exact opposite is of what you think is true is true. So, and there are enough of those guys doing that, going yeah, off half-cocked on it already. Especially when you're dealing with a uh, with a situation that could be as ugly as this. I think it, you you want to proceed with caution. So, I, I mean, you probably have been following it closer than I have. So Well, yeah, I, I heard about it from guys at jiu-jitsu before I ever saw it on the internet. And then it was one of those, you know, law of new knowledge things. As soon as somebody mentions it, then I started seeing it everywhere. Um, but the answer to the question of can we outline what the fuck happened, uh, it sounds like allegedly what the fuck happened was two guys on Lloyd Irvin's competition jiu-jitsu team uh, are accused of raping a female teammate on New Year's Eve. Was that it? I think, mm-hmm. it's, I think it's New Year's Eve. I think that's right. Yeah, that she was out. They saw her out at a bar or something, and they raped her in a parking lot, uh, and 
that supposedly it was caught on video, like a surveillance camera video in the parking lot. It's also allegations have emerged that Lloyd Irvin himself, while a college student, was involved in some kind of rape case, although he was never uh, convicted of anything. Um, yeah, so again, it's another one of those situations where it's tough to tell how much we should even be talking about it, like how, how much of a right we even have to claim this as news um, since it's tough to tell what's going on. Uh, I think one of the things that... Uh, if there's any kind of takeaway from the MMA community for this is this seems to be one of those situations where we have to fight the urge. Uh, like it's kind of the, the blog thing where people are just like, all right, we'll just post whatever we hear and then we'll just update it as we go. And that'll be fine. Right. We'll just, we'll just add updates to the end of the post. Um, but it doesn't really work like that, especially when rape accusations are flying around because, uh, these are real people accused of rape and real people who may or may not have been the victims of rape. Um, and therefore, if you splash some headline stuff about them and then there's an update way down the page uh, that, like you said, eventually says, oh, no, we didn't actually know what was going on when we were writing this stuff. doesn't do them much good. Uh, speaking of not having the facts, let's do this question next from uh, Daniel Suarez, who writes and says, do you think that Ronda Rousey should be saying that nobody would care about GSP if he was ugly when she is posing nude and Dana say and, and Dana saying she is like a Diaz brother in a beautiful fucking body? I don't know. It seems a little hypocritical. Uh, yeah, it, it does seem a little bit hypocritical for Ronda Rousey to indict, indict George St. Pierre for being good looking since she has historically embraced that about herself as as one of her main marketing traits. But the truth is that during this last week where <laughs> Ronda Rousey said a couple of uh, uh, unadvised, inadvisable things in the in the media, this one was far from the worst yeah, one. That's I, I'm surprised if you're going to spotlight a Ronda Rousey tweet. Yeah. This is the one? Yeah. Speaking of not having the facts or, you know, being in possession of, of reality when you tweet stuff, we all know by now that Ronda Rousey uh, sent out a link to what I believe she called a very interesting must-watch video. Must-watch. Uh, that, that alleged that the Newtown, Connecticut, uh, Sandy Hook sh uh, school shooting was a hoax, et cetera, et cetera. Of course... That's not true. <laughs> no. It's and real. It's and insane. Some people, I think, rightly took offense to the fact that Ronda Rousey would either knowingly or simply by accident uh, minimize the, the tragedy and the, the loss of life in this situation. Here's the thing that I thought was really interesting about it. When she started catching some heat on Twitter for people saying, hey, what the fuck is wrong with you? Um, she Her response was that, you know, that she thought it was more patriotic to to investigate this stuff. Um, Which in theory is true. <laughs> yes, like, yes. she's on the right track. But if your investigation consists of a crazy conspiracy theory YouTube video where, you know, it's a YouTube video. Anybody, we can make any kind of bullshit up we want and put it on YouTube. Uh, whereas you cannot always, supposedly, make up any kind of shit you want and get it in the New York Times. Right. Uh, they have, you know, some checks to try and make sure that, that shit doesn't happen. They have people going and looking into it where somebody just throws up a conspiracy video on YouTube. That's not researching anything. You're not investigating anything. Yeah. And there, you know what? There have been a lot lately, it seems to me, of MMA people kind of prattling on about conspiracies in, in one form or another. And it's just so weird to me. It's like it, it's 
you know, once you cross over the bridge into being conspiracy theory guy, it's just impossible to talk to you because <laughs> you will seemingly believe anything except as long as it's reason not. <laughs> and facts yeah. and logic. Yeah, you'll believe anything as, lo- as long as it can't be found in a newspaper. As long as nobody else is like credibly supporting that, yeah. then then that, that somehow the absence of evidence becomes its own evidence. I think what people lose sight of, especially sometimes with tweets from pro athletes, is that for one thing, how seriously should we be taking a pro athlete's commentary on like political issues when chances are you follow them because you know them for being a good pro athlete. Right. It's like when, when it's a completely different thing, but like when Tiger Woods, that whole sex scandal broke with Tiger Woods and people were like, oh, I'm so, I'm so disappointed and so hurt. I, you know, he's not who I thought he was. You liked him because he was an awesome golfer. You didn't like him because he was like a, a model of virtue. You wouldn't even have known who he was if he was just a really good guy and husband. You like him because he's an awesome golfer. Same kind of thing with Ronda Rousey. You like her because she's a really good fighter. She does seem to be taking the thing of like, hey, if I say crazy shit, people will write it down and I'm in the news again. She doesn't seem to be taking that a little too far. But let's not act shocked that, hey, maybe Ronda Rousey doesn't have the most reasoned analysis of the news. Yeah, and you know, I saw some people online trying to intimate that the, you know the UFC should punish her for that, which... Uh I don't know. I, I guess that's debatable. I don't think that they will punish her because she is one of their new golden children that they would like to uh, to promote and make tons of money off of. But I keep coming back to the idea that, you know what, Ronda Rousey's 24 years old, mm-hmm. I think. Something and like it, it, she's, she just doesn't know that much about anything, as any 24-year-old would, not to, you know disparage the 24 year olds out there that are listening to the show, but it's the same, same thing with like with uh Manti Teo, the kid from, from Notre Dame where yeah. everyone's like, Oh man, he's, he got hoax. He, he had to be in on it. He had to have been in on this master plan. And I'm like, dude, have you ever met a religiously devout 21 year old college athlete before? <laughs> if you had, you would know that it's far more believable for him to fall for a years long internet hoax than for him to have the smarts to perpetrate one. <laughs> yeah. And maybe also, as you say, Ronda Rousey before this might not have quite realized the impact that a tweet from her can have. Yeah. And it it's makes... tough to get used to that idea that a lot of people are paying attention. And so if you're just like, Oh, I saw an interesting thing on the internet that a bunch of people might be like, Hey, you asshole. Like, like you're somehow then suddenly responsible for the YouTube video because you tweeted out a link to it and said that you enjoyed it. You know, there's that weird thing going on. Let's hope lesson learned there though. After this. Yeah. It, it, if anything, it makes her seem a little bit ill suited for this superstardom that we have all sort of pre cast her for. So we'll see how it goes. Hopefully she did uh, yeah, well, and learn something and, and keeps it to herself next time. <laughs> well, I don't know if you saw her manager's response that we had no, on, on MMA junkie. Um, and it seemed like it basically boiled down to him saying like, yeah, I don't really think she thought it through that much, which is probably true. Yeah. And like I said, she's young, so she's going to do stuff like that now and again. Um, the last question this week comes from JP. Guys, he writes, is the UFC telling us exactly what they think of each strike force import by the initial matchup that they are making? If I'm Gegard Mousasi, I'm not sure whether I interpret my matchup with Alexander Gustafsson as an endorsement that they think I'm a top contender or a sign that I've got one shot and a really tough one at that to sink or swim. I agree with this. I saw, you know, when this when this broke, a lot of people were going on and on about how uh, 
this was a great fight. And to me, it just seems like a great fight for Alexander Gustafson. And I think if, if Gegard Mousasi is going to have any chance of winning it, uh, he, you know, the, the 2007 version of, of Musasi is going to have to show up and not necessarily the guy we've seen kind of, uh, slump his way through a couple few strike force fights here, uh, in the, you know, most recently. That, that is true. It, that's a tough fight for, for Gegard Musasi for sweet sassy, the young vagabond. Uh, but you could, I think, expand that, that thesis to talk about more than just Musasi. I mean, I think you can look at some of the you, the, the first fight that these Strikeforce guys are getting and know what the UFC has planned for them. For instance, Daniel Cormier versus Frank Mir, uh, that seems like the kind of fight that is set to, to propel Daniel Cormier forward. Yes. Uh, you know, or if Gilbert Melendez comes in and fights for a title right away, you know, that tells you what they think of him. That Yeah, they, they knew that Gilbert Melendez was the top lightweight all along. I think you can kind of expand on that as you look around and see what happens with some of these guys. Uh, but yeah, hey, I, I don't think it's a situation where Gegard Mousasi loses that fight and they cut him. I don't think you, you go out and lose to Alexander Gustafson. That's a cut-worthy offense. Right. Uh, but uh, uh, if you look at it from the bright side, hey, great opportunity to step right into. Yeah, I mean, you win that fight, that's huge. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty good litmus test either way because if you beat Alexander Gustafson, then sure, you're you're automatically vaulting yourself into contendership for for the title. I mean, at the same time, though, I think if you lose to Alexander Gustafson coming in uh, with as much, I guess, relative hype as as Musasi seems to still retain, really. Uh, well, I mean, I, I mean, people hype? are on the internet are acting like he could win this. Who? So come cl- on, clearly that. Uh, clearly there are people out there that, that think that he is a contender or could be a contender. I don't see how he wins that. I, I, I say not... Gustafson is a 4-1 to one favorite at least, and I think the size disparity is going to be pretty evident as soon as they stand next yeah, to each no, other. Yeah, no, I'm not buying it either. I'm just saying he loses that fight on his way in, and, and you know any, any idea that he could have been a contender at least immediately coming into the UFC, is then immediately squandered. You're saying the sweet, sassy train goes just derails <laughs> the at rails, that point? the sweet and sassy train. Oh, no, not the sweet and sassy express. Anyway, that uh, is going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question for the podcast, you can get in touch with us by going to the website, comaineventpodcast.com, and clicking the link at the top of the page that says email the podcast. As it stands right now, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, there are no shortage of conversation-worthy topics regarding what I think we can all agree was a surprising victory by Vitor Belfort over Michael Bisping at the UFC in Brazil this past weekend. Before we get into the aftermath and uh, the totally insane but maybe not so surprising post-fight interview that Vitor Belfort cut, Let's back up just a little bit and just talk about the matchmaking here because I think this is another one of those uh, awkward and maybe not the most instructive matchups that we've been seeing with more frequency from the UFC lately because, again, this seemed like a fight where if one guy wins, then it could be particularly meaningful for the division. But if the other guy wins it kind of upsets the plans and now we're not sure what to think. And of course, whenever you book a fight like that, you're rolling the dice and you're essentially asking the MMA gods to 
just fuck your plans all yeah. to hell. The MMA gods cannot resist an opportunity. Is exactly like that. what happened. So, um, I guess why even make this fight between Michael Bisping and Vitor Belfort aside from the fact that the UFC needs to make a ton of fights now yeah. to fulfill their obligations. And if you're going to have a fight card in Brazil, probably best for it to be main evented by a Brazilian if you can't put a title fight on. Uh, so, you know, you take a guy, a, uh, a guy who you could say recently has been kind of a money weight and Vitor Belfort matching up against Michael Bisping. And I can see the thinking that, hey, if Bisping can go in there and beat Vitor Belfort, yeah, I guess that as much as anything says that Michael Bisping would be ready for a title shot. But like you said, it's always a weird thing if you make a fight and say, if this guy wins, winning it will have earned him a title shot. If the other guy wins, that will not at all be the case. Because how can that, like, how can that work? Right? If it's a fight where, hey, the winner uh, has, by virtue of winning it, has proved that he's top contender, then why shouldn't it be the same way for the other guy? I was expecting, really, Vitor to make that case in his post-fight right. interview. Yeah, no, he definitely, there's a definite swerve there yeah. uh, from Bel- Belfort where he, he, in his post-fight interview, kind of like he's just picking up steam as he goes. And it sounds like he's going to call out Anderson Silva, and then right in the middle of it, nope. Left turn, <laughs> he's going to go ahead and call out light heavyweight champion yeah. John Jones. What's an immediate rematch with John Jones? Not only an immediate rematch, but he went ahead and called it champion versus champion. Uh-huh. Which yeah. is just not accurate. That's just not what that would be. Well, maybe he meant former champion versus current champion. and He, was just, he, he was, meant guy who had a cup of coffee with an ill-gotten light heavyweight title against current light heavyweight champion. Or he meant cage rage light heavyweight champion versus UFC light heavyweight champion. I mean, that's the champion versus champion fight right, I think we've all been waiting for. That's the fight we've all been clamoring for. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you this, though. Have we been underestimating Vitor Belfort? Because if you take a look at his, his wins and losses, you know... Over the last decade, for God's sakes, I just looked at it in the wake of this fight. I think we all have rightly this idea that Vitor Belfort is this totally known commodity where if you take him past the first or second round, he's done. But if you look at his wins and losses, all of the dudes that he has lost to are serious heavy hitters, like serious fucking dudes. It's like Like John Jones, Randy Couture, Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz. When he lost to Tito Ortiz, it's not like Tito Ortiz was a complete joke. No. Uh, Alistair Overeem, I think he lost to twice. Like pretty much everyone he's lost to is top shelf, A-list dudes. So is Vitor Belfort better than than we thought he was? Well, I don't think anybody was ever saying that Vitor Belfort sucks. I think the thing on Vitor Belfort, and I don't know that this really disproves that, is like you said, if if he can't beat you early and if things start going against him, then he doesn't really have the ability to turn that around. Like if he's going to beat you, you know, he's got to beat you basically in the first seven minutes of a fight most of the time. Yeah. Uh, if you can get through that, uh, if you can tire him out a little bit and get him to start questioning whether he's going to win – then you know that that's a snowball that just picks up steam, and and that's kind of been the the scattering report on him. He you know he looked good on feet in the exchanges with with Michael Bisping. There was never a, a part in that fight where he seemed to be getting the worst of it. Uh, and nice nice setup, nice head kick there to put Bisping down. So yeah, I, I don't think there's anything there to to feel bad about if you're Vitor Belfort. I also though think that 
Now that the TRT stuff is starting to swirl around Vitor's head and he's not confronting it, he's not dealing right. with it. We don't know he's on it, but he certainly didn't deny it. No. See, and the, that's the thing. When I mean, he had the chance. If you're asked directly, if there's evidence to think that you might be on it because, you know, he fought on that fight card where he suddenly went up in weight, looked jacked, and then afterwards we heard that somebody got a TUE and there's 35-year-old Vitor Belfort <laughs> with just huge pythons on his arms there. You yeah, know, if you want to see a, a leading photo of Vitor Belfort, you can go ahead and check out the photo that is the the background photo on his Twitter page, where yeah. he he it Just looks like one of those things out. where he's leaning up against a door, and mm-hmm. he's like, "Oh, I didn't know you came in here with your camera. You just got me <laughs> hanging out in the sweats." Yeah, just chiseled with his abs. Also, I'm and, looking at Vitor Belfort's Twitter right now and seeing his tweet right after the fight, which reads. I give thanks to my Lord Jesus for the victory and cast at your feet and humble myself. Jesus, you are the men. In all caps. All caps, of course. Uh, and, you know, here's the thing. If TRT is legit and it's you not. actually need it and somebody asks you about don't. it, just tell them that you're on it. Yeah. Don't be like, oh, you know, that's private. Because <laughs> that makes you look super guilty. Well, it also, I mean, I guess you can go all the way like Chelsonen does and claims that he will die. He will just fucking drop dead if he cannot inject synthetic testosterone into his ass a couple times a week. Uh, On the flip side, though, you know, let's talk a little bit about Michael Bisping just in that the three guys that he is. If we operate under the assumption that Vitor Belfort is on testosterone replacement therapy, then the three guys that Michael Bisping. Let's just say hypothetically. Hypothetically. Let's Let's get crazy and operate under that assumption. Hypothetically, if Vitor Belfort is on testosterone replacement therapy, then the last three guys that Michael Bisping has lost to have all been on it. Dan Henderson, Chael Sonnen, and Vitor Belfort. Well, I think I think the he lost the Vanderlei Silva in there between the Dan Henderson did he? and Chael Sonnen ones. I believe he did. I don't have his record right in front well, of me anyway. Well, I can look at it. But, you know, if you definitely you look at Michael Bisping, the, the pattern that Bisping has been on is, you know, get a little bit of momentum, get to that point where you win one more and you'll get that title shot, uh, and then he keeps losing those fights. All three of those that he has lost have right. been dudes who either are known to be TRT users or, or strongly suspected to be, will so, not deny yeah, being well, TRT I used, users. I started to feel bad for him in the same way that I feel bad for Junior Dos Santos during that one stretch that he had where it seemed like every goddamn person he fought was on TRT. Yeah. Bisping's got to feel the same way at this well, point. He's got to feel worse because he is losing to them, right. where Junior Dos Santos was beating those okay, guys. Yeah, good and, point. you know, this again, I, I feel like I've mentioned this several times though but it still it sticks out to me uh one of the times when i was talking to brian stan and he was talking about the guys using trt uh and how he was strongly against it and that when you're if you're a fighter especially if you're getting knocked out by those guys you know it's like every fighter i think if they're honest with themselves there's a little like countdown going on and some of it is years and and the, the toll of beatings and training and all that kind of stuff. But some of it is also those knockouts, you know, that you, you get knocked out cold, you get that concussion, you know, you get, get your skull thumped on pretty good. And there goes another one off the countdown and you don't know how many you have on there. And so to be given those up against guys who are coming in there with, uh, you know, a very powerful hormone that they've been injecting uh, for the last few months to, to get ready for this fight I don't know how you could not be really upset about that. I would be really pissed. I would be making a much bigger deal of it than Michael Bisping seems to want to. Yeah, uh, well, you know, give him credit as as big an asshole as Michael Bisping can be before a fight. When it's over, he, he you know he took it 
took it yeah. like a man and it made no excuses and walked out of there. I mean, you could definitely, if you're Michael Bisping, uh, make a, a strong case that why are you always getting fucked, man, like Gilbert Ivel? Yeah, especially for Bisping, who now I think is starting to look like he may be one of those really unfortunate souls who's really, really good, just not quite as good as the best guys. Yeah. And so the fact that he's been knocked out of these number one contender fights by guys who may or may not be hypothetically cheating, <laughs> uh, that, that would be hard to swallow, man. But let me float the the hypothesis that I floated to you when we were at that party last night where <laughs> yes. I was like, could this loss actually be advantageous for Michael Bisping? See, because this is what happens. Chad gets a couple Sierra Nevadas in him. Now starts he, talking crazy. he has to win a couple few more fights to work his way back up into number one contender status. By the time he gets there, maybe Anderson Silva is not there anymore. Because I think as we all look at the division, we can agree that Anderson Silva is just a fucking nightmare matchup for Michael Bisping. Yeah, as so, he is for most people, but he seems especially nightmarish for Michael Bisping. But again, though, the problem for Michael Bisping has not been that he can't beat Anderson Silva. It's that he can't beat the guys who Anderson Silva beats. That's the, like, forget even winning a title fight. He hasn't been able to win the fight that gets him there. You know, uh, I don't know if that necessarily will change if Anderson Silva retires. There's still going to be that that level of guys that that can stand between him and and a title fight. Yeah. Well, let's before we wrap this up, let's play uh, fantasy matchmaker. Who, if you are Joe Silva, gets the middleweight title shot at this point? I'm going to say Chris Weidman because that's the dude I would have given it to anyway, yeah. regardless of the outcome of this fight. No, that's the one that I've been talking about ever since Weidman looked awesome tearing apart Mark Munoz. I mean, and that one where you look at style matchups, that seems like an interesting style clash to me is, is uh, Weidman versus Anderson Silva. That's the one I think makes the most sense. That's the one I think you could generate the most interest in. Uh, like, it seems like that's one that Anderson Silva might legitimately not want. Uh, I'd much rather see that than Anderson Silva and George St. Pierre. Um, so, yeah, if Weidman can get healthy in a reasonable amount of time, that seems like the one to make. Because, hey, Alan Belcher got knocked off by Yushin Okami. I have no interest in seeing Anderson Silva and Yushin Okami again. No. Uh, Weidman seems like the guy. What about Tim Boach? God damn it. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, well, uh, to me, this whole scenario kind of encapsulates a lot of the things that have changed about the UFC over the last couple of years. Because I feel like four or five years ago... We just would have seen Chris Weidman versus Anderson Silva. They just would have booked it. It would have happened. Everybody would have been happy. Nobody would have been worried that Chris Weidman wasn't marketable enough. You know, Anderson Silva wouldn't have had the stroke to say, I'm not fighting that dude. Find me somebody easier. It just seems like this entire middleweight conundrum is just kind of like a... a, 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 a what's the word that I'm looking for? The uh, I don't know. You already said conundrum. Right. It's but it, but it's like a uh, enigma an, uh, wrapped in a puzzle. Yes, that's what I was looking for. <laughs> Never mind. It encapsulates a lot of the things that are that are wrong with with or have changed. Not necessarily wrong, but have changed about the UFC business model. You know, and I feel like we will sometimes try and complain about both sides of of that possibility. On one hand, you can have where the UFC is too strong of a central power and can tell fighters, hey, fuck you, here's the deal, take it or leave it. This is who you're fighting. Uh, this is what you're fighting for. You know, here, here's the money you can make, and what are you going to do? You're going to quit the UFC? You're going you're gonna to run off to Bellator? You're going to run off, you know, 
the other options are, are drying up outside the UFC. And so sometimes we, we complain about that, that the UFC has too much power over these guys. Uh, but then on the other hand, when guys start to get you know, a little bit of stroke, like you said, big-time champions like George St. Pierre, like Anderson Silva, guys who can kind of call their shots to some extent, and then when they do start calling their shots, we complain about that. Hey, why isn't the UFC just telling these guys, fuck you, here's the fight? You know, it's, some of that seems like that's inevitably going to happen. I feel like we haven't got too out of balance in either direction. I mean, in some ways, I think it's good to have the UFC there to make some of these fights. I think one of the big things you see in boxing now that has hurt that sport over the last few years is that each big-time boxer becomes like a promotion unto himself. And, you know, he's going to want to, to milk that for as long as he can before he has to take any really difficult fights. And that sucks. And people get tired of that. And so it's good to have a, the UFC, you know, forcing some of those fights to happen. At the same time, you don't want it to get to where the UFC can just uh, take its champions and, and twist their arms and make them do, you know, way too much for way too little. So I, I don't know. I'm not terribly surprised to see in that little battle with Anderson Silva trying to, I'm sure he wants to find some kind of, uh, advantageous contractual situation before he jumps into a fight with Chris Weidman. I don't necessarily blame him for that. I think eventually that fight will happen. Well, that, that'll probably wrap up this discussion of the craziness that's going on in the middleweight division right now. Jesus, you the men. Before we move any further forward, we're going to have the world's self-proclaimed leading theatricalist come in here, Sir Nigel Longstock, and he's going to be leading us in another rendition of Master Tweet Theater, and that starts right now. And now, Master Tweet Theater. And now, it's that time again. We welcome back to the podcast noted theatricalist and friend of the show, Sir Nigel Longstock. Sir Nigel, how are you? Good day to you, sir. I am exhausted. Why are you exhausted, dare I ask? I went cross-country skiing, and I was forced to direct the other skiers on their way in the parking lot for the entire afternoon. Well, that sounds like a valuable use of your time. Uh, Those of you who don't know how this works, uh, Sir Nigel's going to read us off five different tweets from five different people in the MMA community, not necessarily fighters. And Chad and I are going to try and guess who the tweeters in question are based on basically, you know, gut feeling and very little evidence. Uh, Sir Nigel, when you're ready, want to hit us with Tweet the First? <clears throat> yes, let us begin. Tweet the First. <clears throat> Nick Lentz from a place where y'all don't see the sun for about nine months, B. Y'all think he give a fuck about being boring? Well, I think the B gives it away there. Uh, I'm going to say that's GFK on MMA. Chad? Yeah, it, it has to be. That's uh, Ghostface Killer on Mixed Martial Arts. It is, in fact, GFK on MMA, and Sir Nigel does not do dialect. <laughs> well, I, I'm pretty sure that's on your, your CV somewhere, but uh, we should have looked at that before we hired you for this podcast. That's on us. So, uh, all right, moving right along. You're already uh, proving to be a little too predictable. Let's see what else you got. Hmm. Well, I also type and play classical guitar, by the way. <laughs> okay, tweet the second. Hey, that plum looks good. Can I trade it for your Twinkie? No. These are my plums. What the fuck are you talking about? What the fuck indeed, sir? <laughs> is there a larger context to this that, that is important to know? Surely there is a larger context, but I do not know it, and I cannot imagine how it could be important to anyone. Okay, well, uh, I'm going to say 
just because I've been following this person's tweets and they tend to baffle me more often than not. Uh, female fighter Fleece Herrig. Hmm, that's a good guess. I think I'm going to go more uh, to toward a hunch just because I know that Sir Nigel Longstock likes to read tweets from this guy. So I'm going to go with big sexy Sean McCorkle. Hmm. Sir My Nigel? God, sir. An excellent guess. It is big is sexy right? Sean yes. McCorkle. Two for two. Maybe the first time ever. Those are his plums. Well, I think what we're really revealing here is that uh, Sir Nigel Longstock is becoming too set in his ways. <laughs> if we can, if that's what led you to, to pick him, I don't know. I feel like this could be a disturbing trend. Why would I change my operation at this point? <laughs> that's got me a, this far. That's a fair point. <clears throat> Tweet the third. It's amazing. I never gas out stuffing my face. Hmm. Chad, you want to go first here? Uh... I'm going to go with the poet Philip Baroni here because, you know, he gasses out and he seems to know it from that video we, we all watched on Middle Easy of him walking his dog. Yeah, the poet Philip Baroni is a good guess here. Um, I'm going to also go with a guy you love to guess since you already took Phil Baroni. I'm going to say Matt Mitrione. Huh, this is amazing. A third consecutive correct guess by Mr. Dundas. That's crazy. I don't, I'd like to thank the little people and uh, my parents. Uh, never mind. Let's just go on. You're taking advantage of a weak showing by Sir Nigel Longstock. That's what you're doing. And I'll take it walking away. <laughs> also, I would like to point out that the poet seems to be entering a shame spiral based on his <laughs> tweets of late. They're all about eating and how bad he is at cardiovascular fitness. Uh, are any of them sent from uh, Spearmint Rhino? So far, there has been no indication that they have come from Spearmint Nigel. Oh, sorry, Spearmint Rhino, but I can't imagine he's doing this at home. <laughs> okay, well, let's keep an eye out for that because uh, people in the Las Vegas area, once you see that kind of stuff popping up at Twitter, go down there and take Phil Brony home. He'll be glad to see you. Mm, tweet the fourth. What do all these men have in common? Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin, Castro, Hussein, Kim Jong-il. They all favored gun control. I got this. <laughs> let, me, let me guess first, because I don't know. Uh, but I'm going to go Jake Volkman. That's not a bad guess. Um, it is, however, MMA fighter and special forces operator Tim Kennedy. It is Tim Kennedy, a man for whom guns have been much more useful than for most of the general population. <laughs> that, that is true. Uh, I also saw that shortly after Tim Kennedy tweeted that, uh, Pat Militich came out uh, immediately in support of that that viewpoint. Oh, surprising! Shocking yeah, news. Yeah. So, so there we go. All six of those men just just loved gun control. It's their signature issue, especially <laughs> Hitler. <laughs> <clears throat> Tweet the fifth, celebrating my one year anniversary. Marriage was definitely a lot better than I thought. <laughs> huh. Um, well, let's see. Who who got married recently? Um, John Fitch? Did John Fitch get married recently? Somewhat recently, right? Sure, I don't know. Fuck it, I'm saying John Fitch. Well, we know Danny Downs recently got married. Yeah, but that was less than a year. Yeah, so, um... And I assume that it's going horribly. There's no... Tough Danny. There's no chance. Uh... I'm going to go Matt Mitrione because it's, it seems like, uh, you know, that he's kind of like asshole style humor. 
Okay, it's not, not bad reasoning. Sir Nigel? Both fine guesses, both men with a, a certain style of humor, but both wrong. Wow. It is Chris Lieben. Oh. <laughs> Somewhat happily married Chris Lieben. <laughs> Happy anniversary, sir. Wow, well then, knowing that it's Chris Lieben takes away the the humor yeah, slant at it, doesn't it? Does. it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he honestly thought marriage would be horrible, like prison. <laughs> but it was actually bearable, like prison. <laughs> Well, Sir Nigel, I can't say that this was your best showing, but I can say that you showed up. Uh, what do you have to say for yourself as far as the, your plans for the rest of the week? Well, sir, I will spend the entire week shooting for AMC's biography of Sir Mix-a-Lot. <laughs> well, that sounds tantalizing. And what role do you play? I play a stuffy old record executive who does not believe that America will ever like big butts. <laughs> Well, I think that you have a lot of potential for a spin-off show of your own in that project, so good luck with that. I prefer Jane Fonda, sir. <laughs> this has been Master Tweet Theater, and that was Sir Nigel Longstock. Round two. Chad, as we have heard during many a Fox NFL football game this Saturday night on Fox Demetrius Johnson and John Dodson will fight for some kind of world championship the world championship I can't help but imagine that a lot of just John Q sports viewers having seen that ad will show up to watch it and then when they see the size of the two guys it'll be kind of be like if you go on an internet date with somebody and they show up and look nothing like their picture and are like six inches shorter and you're like oh hey what the hell what what are you trying to pull here i feel like maybe that's what we set ourselves up for by almost going out of our way not to mention in the promo materials what weight these guys are fighting at like you're scared you just think yeah, that as I soon as people hear fly weight they they lose interest I, I talked about it a couple weeks ago but it, it re-enraged me this past sunday while we were watching the nfl games and and they kept doing these ufc promos and not including the word flyweight as if they're trying to hide it from us <laughs> as if i mean these guys are part of the company now man and be proud of it like advertise your product tell us what it is otherwise it seems like we're all just assuming already that no one will watch the flyweights yeah. and assuming it so much that we're just not even going to tell people when they're fighting. Well, and the thing is, too, uh, you know, maybe you can make that uh, that accusation at Demetrius Johnson, you know, that, hey, he's a point fighter or he's content to win by decision a little too easily. Uh, but you look at John Dotson. I mean, he is all the things that people say they want flyweights to be. Right? He's knocking people out. Right. Like, I mean, shouldn't we be pointing to that rather than just trying to say hey it's a title fight don't worry about the weight there's a weight don't worry we know what it is we don't have to tell you uh just you know tune in yeah it seems to me like if you really wanted to you could come up with an advertising strategy that highlighted the fact that these dudes were super fucking fast and athletic and don't blink or yeah, whatever you, go. you know instead of having joe buck just ignore how much they were gonna weigh when we all know goddamn good and well that if it was a title shot in any other ufc weight class they totally would tell you what weight they were yeah well when they did the first one on fox how many times did we hear the world's words world heavyweight championship over right. and over again during those fox promos but anyway uh the as far as the, the greater issue here we it's a, another fox show uh we get another title fight on it even if they're scared of the division uh, telling us what division it's in 
uh, pretty decent fight card. As you mentioned, uh, the return of Rampage Jackson uh-huh. to be followed presumably very quickly by the complete absence of Rampage Jackson. Yeah, and it's another thing that underscores how weird the promotion for this event has been in that, you know, when you're hearing Joe Buck do those promos, the first thing he does is... just pronouncing the shit out of Glover Teixeira's name. Man, I'm telling you, uh, he does baseball, (laughs) he knows Mark Teixeira, he's just guessing. Uh, (laughs) He's making an educated guess. But so the two things they're doing to to advertise the, this show are not telling you it's flyweights and also really pumping up Rampage Jackson, who I think at this point, at least in Rampage's Jackson's mind, is being brought in to lose to Glover Tashira. Right? I think like we're not stretching too far outside of the realm of possibility and or like making making too big of a of an assumption rampage jackson thinks the ufc is trying to screw him on the way out right well rampage jackson is convinced that the ufc is trying to screw him even when they're not so i don't you know rampage again i think is a weird kind of uh study in a certain type of fighter mindset where he always feels like people are trying to screw him and like he feels like the UFC is not really behind him, that the UFC has not been a good uh, employer for him, and that he can't wait to get out of there. He, like he'll talk about it as if it's some kind of exploitative contract. And it's like, wait, dude, you got up in a monster truck with your picture painted on the side and ran amok in the streets of Southern California, and the UFC stood behind you. So I think that they made a pretty strong case as a supportive employer in, in that situation. Yes. Uh, and now just because you know. Maybe you don't like the way things are trending in your career, and somehow in his mind he seems to think that he's going to make a ton of money outside the UFC, which... 18-2, dude. (laughs) 18-2. Yeah, well, okay. Uh, But I don't know. I mean, it does seem like one of those situations... I looked at the odds for this one just before we started talking about it. Glover Teixeira is a better than a 3-to-1 favorite, which you got to admit, sounds about right uh, against Rampage Jackson here. Yeah, no, uh, I would... I would pick I would pick Glover Deshier if we were picking these fights, but at the same time he's yet another dude that we've only seen in the UFC sparingly, and suddenly we've all decided Glover Deshier, greatest thing of all time, until he loses, and then I knew he was overhyped. Yeah, see, it totally wouldn't really surprise me that much if if Quentin Jackson came out and won this fight somehow. Here's except something. that it's Quentin Jackson. Say Rampage wins this fight, right? Say he comes out there and knocks out, throws a, throws a big. Big bungalow, mm-hmm. lands right on the chin of Glover Teixeira, knocks him out. Uh, you think Rampage gets the mic? Did they give Rampage <laughs> a post-fight interview on Fox, knowing that you know he's a little unhappy with his UFC situation right now, but at the same time, right after a fight, sometimes those kind of impulses mellow themselves out. But again, if you're live on Fox and you give the right. mic to Rampage in that situation... What do you think? Do you think that the UFC takes the chance there? I had not considered that, but that is a fascinating question. That pro- you probably have to make a game time audible at the, at that point. Just I don't know, man. Maybe you got to go to commercial. You know, maybe you got to show another Hansel and Gretel commercial. So <laughs> you need to cut real fast away from. It seems like it would be a glaring omission if he won that fight. If it was roundly thought to be the last time we'd see him in the UFC. Uh, he, he wins a fight that he's the underdog in, kind of go out there, uh, and then we just ignore him and we move on with the broadcast. That seems like that would, would be odd enough to, that in itself it would convince you to roll the dice. 
Yeah, and, and hope hey, that he doesn't you know, do anything crazy. You run give, like a seven second delay or something, right? Right. Yeah. Let's give credit where credit is due. The UFC has never, in the past, shied away from the inadvisable post fight interview. Like that's what they do, man. Don't speak English, no problem. Post fight <laughs> interview. Incredibly beat up, no problem. Post fight interview. Talk to us through the Mickey's replay. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think again, that was one thing to do that stuff on pay per view. It's another thing to do it on Fox. And again, I'm sure. It's because this is what we do now as MMA fans, a lot of people are going to try and draw uh, broad conclusions about the future of the UFC, about MMA in general, about this Fox deal. Uh, we're going to all look at the ratings of the UFC on Fox, and if they're not awesome, I'm sure a lot of it is going to be blamed on the flyweights. Flyweights don't draw, man! Fucking sport killers, these damn flyweights. You know... I go back and forth on the ratings conversation stuff. I understand it's a topic of interest. I understand that people want to talk about it and, and see you know what's what other people are looking at, what, what gets the attention for the UFC in front of that more broad sports audience. At the same time, if we like something, what do we care if other people like yeah, it? Yeah, no, I don't give a shit. I, I decided this long ago this year. Like It doesn't, doesn't matter to me with the ratings. I mean, it matters because I care about the sport and I want the sport to be profitable and, and you know to be able to a- attract high-dollar advertisers. And maybe even the Fox deal works out so well that eventually pay-per-view gets phased out a little bit and you're actually seeing the biggest fights live on network television for free because advertising revenue is such that they get, they can make their money that way. But you know, if, if every idiotic frat boy in the world likes the UFC or not, I don't care, man. If my uncle likes the UFC or not, I don't really care. You know, and then that almost makes you think that this could have been a good opportunity for the UFC to say the same thing about the people who are critics of the flyweights and saying that, Oh, the flyweights shouldn't be the main event. The flyweights don't draw. They're not good enough is uh, to say, Hey, this is our, this is the title fight. This is our champion. So, yeah, it's the main event. We're putting it out there, and it is good enough for Fox. However, as we said, that claim kind of gets undermined when you don't want to tell anybody what weight they're fighting at. Yeah. Um, and, you know, let's spend a little bit of time just talking about uh, Donald Cerrone against Anthony Pettis. That that just seems like a fucking awesome fight, and it, it's one that, that has been relegated to the, I guess, third billing, I guess, on this on this card, which I guess I don't really have a problem with because you got the championship fight on top and then you want to use Rampage Jackson to try to draw eyeballs. But I think that the, the hardcore MMA fan is maybe looking forward to Cerrone versus Pettis oh, the yeah. most. Yeah, that's the kind of fight where if somewhere in the middle of the second round, both of them bloodied and swinging away, you look down and saw that one of them somehow was holding a broken bottle. Uh, and that the other guy maybe had pulled a switchblade, you wouldn't be that surprised. <laughs> you know? You'd be like, okay, that's, that's unprecedented for a, a UFC fight on cable TV. But yeah, no, I could see this happening. I could see this really getting ugly. Uh, I mean, that on paper looks like it has everything that we could want out of it, right? Yeah. Uh, but again, is that another fight where one guy wins, sets him up for a title fight. The other guy wins, maybe not so much. Well, yeah, yes and no. I mean, I think... I so you mean Anthony Pettis, I assume, right? If, he yeah, wins, if Anthony Pettis wins, for a title set, yeah, title and then the narrative works so well there. Uh, you know, he beat Benson Henderson, and then you know it's all like we said, really getting crowded at lightweight now. Gilbert Melendez coming over, maybe Eddie Alvarez coming over. So who knows how that's all going to shake out? But yeah, if Anthony Pettis wins, you got to think, how, why would you ask anything more of Anthony Pettis uh, in order to earn a title shot? That should be all it takes, especially as long as Benson Henderson is the champ. Uh, I think that any excuse to show that. 
that Showtime kick over and over again. The UFC is going to sure. take it. Yeah. Uh, but then if Donald Cerrone wins, you know, he doesn't have that same history with Benson Henderson. It looks like if you, you look at their history together, who wants to see Benson Henderson go choke out Donald Cerrone again? Right. Uh, it just doesn't have that, that same heat behind it. Yeah, I mean, I think Cerrone can still be a viable contender, though. I mean, he's probably not the number one contender just by virtue of beating Anthony Pettis. But I would still, if he wins this fight, include him in the group of guys who could vie for a future shot at the title. So it's not... Unless he goes and becomes a professional wakeboarder. Right, yeah, that that would put a a screeching halt to things, wouldn't it? Um, it, It's not as bad, though, as Michael Bisping being beaten by Vitor Belfort, certainly, because, you know... Belfort's just not getting another shot at Anderson Silva unless he he cleans out the entire division in the words of the guy who owns the company. So. Well, and hey, with the help of Jesus and testosterone, he may do just Maybe that. Maybe he can do that. Uh, are we going to do Are You Fucking Kidding Me I here think we at should. the end of this? All right, why don't, why don't you go for it? Or uh, can we both just agree that our Are You Fucking Kidding Me's are about Dan Mergliotta? My Are You Fucking Kidding Me's about Dan Mergliotta. All right, you just, that was going to be mine too, so you do yours <laughs> and then I'll just... Okay. I'll just say it. We'll just, you know, we'll just, we'll get in on this one together. Our joint, are you fucking kidding me th- this week? And this is a, a first. Yeah, uh, this has never happened. So and clearly, it, we don't discuss it beforehand, know, we, as I'm sure you can tell. As you, you can, can tell, we do show. very little prep for the show. Uh, but really, probably says something about the refereeing work of one Dan Miragliata this weekend. Uh, that in the fight where uh, Khabib Nurmi, my my guy Nurmi. Uh, <laughs> I think I counted, I went back and watched the ending of his fight with Tiago Tavares. I think he lands about uh, 14 or 15 unanswered blows as Tavares is just kind of in the fetal position. The last, you know, four or five at least, Tiago Tavares is completely unresponsive, just kind of laying there like a corpse, getting his head bounced around by elbows and then a couple punches there at the end. Well, Dan Mergliata is standing there with his face inches from this action, watching it and thinking god knows what are you fucking kidding me dear migliata you're not gonna stop that one you fucking kidding me you're fucking kidding me i think maybe he felt like embarrassed or nervous because his goatee he clearly he was trying to grow back his goatee right he had clearly shaved it and it was he was trying to you think he was distracted grow it back by the time he had to do tv and i just think he felt nude or something out there (laughs) and so he was he was distracted and was thinking about that instead of Something Maybe must have been trying going to save on. someone's life. Yeah, the, the, the brain trauma Tiago Tavares took there, uh, completely unnecessary. I mean, you could see that he wasn't doing anything. He wasn't fighting back. You can stop that one way sooner and nobody's going to complain. All right, well, that's going to do it for round number two. Stick around, though. We'll be right back with round number three. Round three. Well, Ben, the initial numbers are in from the Bellator debut on Spike from last week, and you know what? They look halfway decent. According to Spike executives, 938,000 viewers watched the entire Bellator 85 broadcast, and it seemed like the things peaked with 1.1 million viewers during the Pat Curran-Patricio Pitbull featherweight title shot. So uh, I guess... The question is, is this the start of something for Bellator or is this just a situation where a lot of people tuned in out of curiosity to see the first show and uh, they're going to have trouble maintaining and or adding to these numbers? You know, I don't see that they'll have too much trouble maintaining the numbers, especially because one of the the big boosts that they got ratings wise was having TNA wrestling 
Uh, apparently, the kids are still wild about pro wrestling out there. You have that as a lead-in. Uh, over a million people watch that, and that's you know that explains why because it is a little unusual for your peak to be the beginning of the broadcast right. rather than well you know, with Bellator, so it's just because it got late. Yeah. Well, okay. It it is people, late. People had to go to bed. Yeah. People do. Yeah. People got On work the in the morning. Coast. It's it's Thursday night, uh, but. Because of that, because it's on Spike, and because Spike, I think, has proven there's at least some basis to their theory that uh, people will watch MMA on Spike uh, rather than just watching the UFC on Spike. I think that there, there's some evidence for that. And if you have pro wrestling to kind of feed a similar type of fan demographic in, there's reason to think that you can continue to pull some of those numbers. The, the other question, though, of can they add to it? Can they really turn Bellator into a powerhouse there? I think we're going to have to wait a few more weeks to see. I'll tell you, though, for their first show on Spike, uh, I was impressed with the quality of the show. It was it was a fun show to watch. Uh, the thing that kind of worries me, though, is overall quality of talent and competition. Because Michael Chandler, he looked awesome. Yep. Uh, as far as who you can throw up against Michael Chandler, I don't know. Different I don't know. Story. Yeah, especially since you got to wait for these tournaments to play out before right. your champion can fight the next guy. Also, Pat Curran, uh, leading off this broadcast, has probably been like the hidden jewel of Bellator yeah. up until this point. He, you know, just ratings wise, he's probably the highest in his weight class of, of any of the fighters that they have. Um, although I will say, and I had this feeling again, when I, while we were watching him just dismantle Rick Hahn, I've got this feeling that Michael Chandler might be really fucking good at MMA. Yeah. Like he, really good. And he seems to be getting better. That's the thing you, you can, I think the, the Michael Chandler you saw coming through that tournament, uh, the the guy now who's the champion seems way better than that guy. You know, you, you, it's one thing to see that kind of development uh, early on in the guy's career. You wonder how much longer that that steep uh, improvement can last. But that he did look awesome in that. But again, I think it just makes you wonder, like, if the guy if the guy at the top there looks too awesome, and it doesn't seem like there's anybody for him to fight, especially if they lose Eddie Alvarez and you can't do that rematch, uh, then what? I mean, does it? Are we just going to see him wasted in Bellator? Yeah, well, and that is the really crappy thing for Bellator is that Michael Chandler seems really good. And he's got these traits that I think would translate well to any promotion. It's not just like I don't have the feeling that Mike Chandler is just beating up nobodies. You know what I mean? Like he's big for the weight class. He's got really solid wrestling and his striking looks like it is really improving uh, as he goes along. And so... The shitty thing for Bellator is that as I'm watching this fight, as he's beating up Rick Hahn, I'm thinking to myself, oh, I wonder how he'd do in the UFC. But it's, it's a shame he's not over in the octagon. We could, we could find some things out about Michael Chandler. And see, that's the, I think, the problem that Bellator is going to keep running into. And when I was working on my Bellator story last week, uh, and I talked to, uh, to Kevin Kay from Spike TV, and one of the things he was saying... Wait, did you talk to your guy? I'm sorry? Bjorn? Did you, did you call Bjorn? Did you text Bjorn? On his private line? If you're referring to Bellator founder Bjorn Rebney, yes. I talked to him. I okay. don't know why he's Just my guy. I, well, I didn't want him to feel left out okay. because the, these relationships, Ben, are important. No, just let me know when you're done. Okay. Just let me know no, when go, you're done. I'll, I'll continue. No, it's fine. Okay, thank you. Uh, one of the points that Kevin Kay was making was that uh, he doesn't think Bellator wants to be going after UFC castoffs, as he put it, even though we did see Babalusa Brawl 
uh, fight on this Bellator card. Well, but there was there was more than that. There was numerous UFC castoffs on this card. Well, this is one of the problems is that a lot of the known guys in MMA at this point are going to be UFC castoffs. Right. The tournament gives you a good opportunity to build up some talent. But as Kevin K put it, that you know when guys are cut from the UFC, there's a reason. There's usually a reason that they're cut from the UFC, and so you don't want to just have you know UFC retreads on there. You got to build up your own talent. But then when you're building up your own talent, that tournament is a good way to do it. You know you can just throw some guys in there and see who comes out on top. And in this case was Michael Chandler, and that that proved to have been a pretty good system. But then once he gets up there, once you have cultivated that talent, how can you build off of it if everybody is just sitting around thinking? They really want to see him go to the UFC. And you know that he's got to be thinking that that's probably the end game at some point. I mean, he's been really good about supporting Bellator uh, and being a Bellator company man and all that stuff. But uh, interesting quote I wanted to read from my conversation that I had with Michael Chandler recently when I asked him about, you know, do you see yourself in Bellator 10 years from now? Uh, still, still just hanging out there. Michael Chandler, quote, I'm only going to be content with my career if I become the best fighter in the world. Right now, I wouldn't be able to do that in Bellator. But having said that, when you look at how big the spike deal is and how big Bellator is getting, I think you're going to see some cool stuff happen there. Basically him saying he knows that the guys that he's going to fight in Bellator for at least the the near future are not going to propel him to number one in the lightweight rankings. He would have to go to the UFC to do that. But he seems to be putting a lot of hope in that because of this spike deal, because of the changing nature of Bellator, Bellator might become a, a UFC as far as the quality of talent? What do you make of that? Is that just wishful thinking on his part? Uh, yeah, my gut says yes, it is, and also probably the political answer from yeah. Michael Chandler. Uh, the thing is, though, you know, e- even if you are setting the bar pretty high there in, t- in terms of what where Bellator needs to go to really challenge the UFC, I think it'll be really interesting to watch them try because I think we would probably both agree that Nothing would be better industry at large than to have another company like Pride that could, uh, you know, push the UFC and kind of create this environment of competition that always seems to promote the best TV from right. both companies. Whether or not Bellator can get there, I don't know. And I think it is going to uh, eventually prove some things about Spike TV and, and, and you know, what whether or not the UFC succeeded over there because of the strength of the UFC's brand or just because there really are a lot of dudes out there who will watch fighting on Spike TV no matter what it is. Now, that said... Just like FX got the movies, Spike TV got the fighting. Yeah, and FX no longer got the UFC. But uh, (laughs) anyway, um, I I do feel like Bellator is in a really good position here because they're going to have a weekly show. Everyone's going to know where it is. Everyone's going to know when it is. It's free as long as you get Spike. You can just go there and watch it. You don't have to worry about tracking down 8,000 events a month on the Speed Network or wherever <laughs> we're at now with the other company. Golf Channel. I think Golf it's going to be on the Golf we're Channel. going to be over on Fox Soccer <laughs> next month. Uh, and, you know, I think that that provides a good base for them to, to potentially grow. We'll just have to see uh, where it goes and, and what our expectations for their company become because right now, you know, we have conversations about the UFC where we're like, oh, well, this fucking Vitor Belfort, Michael Bisping fight doesn't make any goddamn sense. The conversations we have about Bellator are, all right, Bellator had a nice show. All right. <laughs> Good job, Bellator. So it, it'll be interesting to see how the expectations of MMA fans either are raised or decline according to how Bellator goes along and, and whether or not they're able to 
I guess, meet those expectations and surpass them. It's true. MMA fans have a track record of doing this thing where when you're the little guy uh, swinging away at the, the UFC, if you're the, you're the David in the David and Goliath scenario, then everybody's kind of rooting for you and excusing your mistakes and, and wanting to see you succeed. But then when you get just big enough, uh, then we start talking about how you're fucking up all the time. Yeah. It happened with Strike Force. You know, it, it may happen with Invicta because, like you said before, that everybody kind of treats Invicta like, hey, good effort. Thanks, nice job. Th guys. Thanks for showing way to up. We have a show that yeah. worked. Yeah, we had to, to have a show that was a thing that happened. And that's kind of the, the limit of the expectations. Uh, whereas with the UFC, the expectations are pretty high and people can be pretty merciless about it at this point. I think the thing with uh, with Bellator that is the biggest help and the biggest hindrance is that tournament format. Because I think it, in terms of finding new talent that we haven't heard of before and you know, proving it, that these guys are worth paying attention to, that it's not just a bunch of hype that is going to dissipate, that tournament is a great system for that. As long as people stay healthy and can make it through that tournament, uh, which for that you need a little bit of luck, um, but that's a, a good system, and it, like you said, it, being on every week, it just the whole thing just keeps on rolling and rolling and rolling, and I think people get into that. But at the same time, like we said, if you're just gonna have to sit around and wait and see how these tournaments play out, uh, that that slows down stuff for guys at the top. Yeah, and with the Bellator tournaments, again, I think it's it's always gonna be uh, a question of. Well, who are these guys really beating to get to the top? We talk about Michael Chandler and say he looks awesome and, and I don't feel like he's a fluke. And I do feel like he has skills that would translate to to the to the top of the heap, to the best MMA promotion in the world. But, you know, at the other weight classes, we've seen this during some of Bellator's previous season tournaments. They produce winners and it's just like nobody really even knows who they are. Now, maybe that'll change because of the spike thing. I don't know, but it, it, just, it just seems like I think you're right that emerging from a tournament does mean something, but at the same time, the level of competition that you're defeating to get to the to the point where you've won that tournament is also important. Yeah, and that brings us back to the thing we said earlier about, you know, the like the, the light heavyweight tournament. You look at Mo Lawal in that tournament, and you think, well, shit. He's got to win. Yeah, if you don't win the whole thing, that's a disappointment. That says something about at least what we expect of the quality of competition in that tournament. Yeah. All right, well, let's do uh, just saying stuff, and then we'll get out of here. This is the part of the show every week where Ben and I both make statements that we are then not asked to back up or defend or support with evidence of any kind because we're just saying stuff. I guess you want me to go first? Yeah, what's your just saying stuff this week? I'm just saying, I don't know if you were watching closely the shots of the crowd in Sao Paulo on Saturday night. Uh, it is a goddamn miracle if they can hold an MMA event in that uh, venue and at least a dozen people don't fall to their deaths. <laughs> After there's a big win, I mean, first of all, the, they get so incredibly stoked just when the camera pans in on them. That's all a lot of just maniac, vein-bulging faces really happy to be at a U live UFC event. And I love the enthusiasm of the Brazilian crowd. It's kind of, uh, you know, MMA's holy land when you go there and... Uh, I love that about it. At the same time, they're also showing crowd shots, and there's no like a barrier or anything to some of the the upper tiers in the arena. People are just standing there on the edge of the thing, and you're like, <laughs> "Oh no, no, come on, you're step back! It's incredibly dangerous. What the hell, Brazil? I mean, I, it's it's one of those things where also going to Brazil and you see guys weaving in and out of traffic on their motorcycles, or guys standing in the middle of the freeway on the dotted yellow line trying to sell bottled water. Maybe." There's, there's a culture that could use a couple more safeguards. 
I'm not saying, you know, you have to be a bunch of pussies and, and put railing everywhere, but maybe on the, the arena tier, that's 150 feet off the ground. I'm just saying. Just saying. We don't want to be a bunch of pussies with railings no. everywhere. Uh, I'm just saying this week that if I'm the UFC, I probably can't help but start to feel a little bit nervous right now at the prospect that I'm being shuffled off FX and onto a pair of... 24-hour sports channels that right now don't exist. I mean, maybe Fox Sports 1 and Fox Sports 2, or I suppose F1 and F2, if you nasty, uh, turn (laughs) out to be huge successes and become the next ESPN. And maybe they don't. Maybe they become the next NBC Sports Network or the next CBS Sports Network. Because then... Where are you really at if you're the UFC? I mean, hey, man, might work out great. Maybe the UFC and Fox Sports Networks can prop each other up and and both become huge successes. It just seems like there's a lot of uh, margin for things working out kind of crappy in that. I know what you're really upset about. Just saying. What, What am I really upset about? You're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, what becomes of Fox Soccer? What becomes of the Fox Soccer In more homes than Fuel TV. So... (laughs) What become who who knows what becomes of who? I know. I, I understand you're you're worried that you won't be able to see the uh the Wolverhampton Wanderers. Those are my guys. That's yeah. my team, the Wanderers. <laughs> anyway, that's gonna do it for this week. We'll be back next week with more mixed martial arts talk of all varieties. As for right now, though, that's it. We're done. We're through. We're out. Microcosm. That's that there it is. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah, back it in is the, a conundrum of a microcosm. Round number one. Yeah. It's been from that in the brain. Ooh, you know what? We'll go back and editing and we'll put it in the post. Punch it in. Yeah. Don't